70% of everything we do every day is habitual. That's our behaviours, our thoughts, our belief systems, our reactions to things. I had to find my own closure without him, which is often also a thing in grief. Everything triggered me. Everything reminded me of him and every memory of him sent me into a panic attack. And so when that's on overdrive, that's why we lose all our habits because we are so emotionally, so caught up in survival that nothing is normal anymore. Welcome back everyone to another episode of Good Grief. Today we are joined by special guest and my longtime friend, Dr. Gina Cleo. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome. Thanks, Thanks for, for being here. Me. Great to be here, guys. Good to see you oh, again. I know. It's been a Thank few you. years. Thank so. you very much. It's been a few years. It, it only takes a podcast and a book to bring good people together it's again. It's true. And we live in the same suburb. We live in the same suburb. What in the world. Literally. Oh my goodness. We thought we were here longer than you, but we were so wrong. <laughs> you are guests in the suburb. Yes. Yeah. We have much to learn from you. <laughs> you do. Uh, it's great to see you. Uh, it's great to have you here. Congratulations. This is a big week yes. for you. Thank you. And um, thanks for fitting us in, to be yeah, honest. Of course. What a oh. pleasure to be here with you guys. Thank you. We're so honored. Um, and we're here to talk about all things habits um, and grief because yes. there's those two things come into intertwined. Lock. Sure do. Um, yeah. But can I do the honor of introducing you because formally, <laughs> of course, as Dr. Gina Cleo? Because for our listeners who may not know who you are, um, I just want to make sure that they know who we've got in the room today because oh, <laughs> we've been waiting for this episode yes. and like the fact that you had a slot out of hundreds of interviews <laughs> and calls and podcasts True. and that you're in our uh, our suburb and not in Sydney or somewhere else um so would you allow me so you don't have please to brag about do. yourself yeah please do I would not brag, brag anyway so please okay everybody. <laughs> for everybody listening we've got in the room Dr. Gina Cleo who has a degree in biomedical science, a master's degree in nutrition and dietetics, a doctorate in habit change, and then went on to become a habit researcher, has been interviewed by more than 200 media organizations around the world, <laughs> has the Habit Change Institute, and has just released the Habit Revolution, which we have in our hands. <laughs> Uh, welcome, so welcome shiny. a second time. So pretty. Um, but we're just we're stoked to have you here, and also because we love habits, yes. <laughs> and yeah. we talk about this stuff all the time, and we're here to learn ourselves. Oh, awesome! Yeah, um, love it. So tell us, just how has the week been launching oh, the book? Oh my gosh wild so wild there has been just so much engagement and interest in the book and you know from the moment it landed on shelves I think within a few hours people are messaging me like I'm already on chapter three I can't like wait to get through this or can't put this down. I can't put this down and the book was sent to a bunch of journalists before it was launched the ones that requested for it and it's just been amazing you know I've been in tears in some interviews where people like there's just being people who I didn't expect would really take it, like say older men, for example, sure. who would probably not be my target market, but they have just been all about it, like biggest fans. And so from the whole spectrum has just, it's been incredible, honestly. I'm so overwhelmed by it all. 
<laughs> I'm like, guys, I just, you know, I just put some words on a paper. Yeah. You're an author now. Yeah. yeah. First book. Wow. First book. And, and last. You, you no. <laughs> a labor of love, yeah. hey? Pretty big one. <laughs> guys, get the book. This could be the last. <laughs> I know. I mean, after writing my PhD thesis, I was like, that's it. My writing days are done. Seriously. Like, I'm good. And then my agent was like, you know, you have a book in you. I'm like, I don't know. And then it was, she was like, you have a book in you. I'm like, okay. <laughs> now, I'm pretty naive. How, how, which one has more words? PhD or, or this PhD. book? PhD. does. Yeah, oh, my gosh. Sure. What's the difference? So a PhD, I think, was 100,000 words. Mm -hmm. This one was 60,000 okay. words. But with a PhD, you have to do all the science and then write about it. So it's not just like research. You actually have to implement the stuff. Yeah. So that took four years. Wow. This took about a year. But, but you'd, already, you'd already done the work. I had. Yeah, yeah this is true. So Super. like actually like my whole life. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's in stores. It is everywhere like literally when they were telling you there was only a 30 percent chance of, or 30 percent 30 percent uptake yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. Uptake. yeah yeah and then we ended up getting 100 percent. so they were like look only 30 percent of stores that mm -hmm. we pitched to will take it and i was just happy with that so if you're in an airport that right now yeah, yeah grab it go grab it if you get your hand on this target came up uh -huh. have a revolution any bookstore right yeah. here <laughs> it's <is> hot hot <laughs> <press>. <laughs> Yeah, it nearly sold out yesterday at one of the shops ah, down in Rabina. Yeah. That is so cool. Yeah, so, oh. so cool. Um, I love that. And you haven't purchased a copy yet. When I released our album, we went and bought albums <laughs> in every store we could find. Did you? Yeah. Oh, my gosh, that is adorable. Yeah, so. Well, they give you 10 copies, I think, as the author. Right. And then I've got to buy the rest. So once I get through my 10 copies, I've given one to like my mom. One yeah. was like my Chris Kringle. How was that? <laughs> giving a book to your mom? Oh, it was so special. I gave them my the first one that I'd opened. Yeah. My mom and dad. And, you know, my dad has wanted me to write a book his whole life. So Whoa. it was such a beautiful moment. Like he teared up and I had like I wrote their names in it and he just couldn't believe that, you know, my name wasn't a book that he could hold. That is amazing. But then straight away he was like, All right, when's a TV show coming? I'm like, Dad, just be happy with this. <laughs> <Yes>. Gosh. <laughs> Relax, oh, man. Parents. <laughs> I know, right? So cool. Um, well, one thing I love that you mentioned pretty early on in the book is that you help people live a life by design and not by default. Yeah. Tell us what that, like, what does that mean to you? How does that outwork in your daily life? Has that been before you started researching? You've always felt that or did it come as you started digging into things? And I, you know, 70% of everything we do every day is habitual. That's our behaviors, our thoughts, our belief systems, our reactions to things. So actually most of the time we're in autopilot and we're not doing things necessarily because they're serving us or because they're the best things for us. We're just doing them because that's what we've always done. And I guess it got to a point where, you know, I was working as a dietitian and I was helping people with their lifestyle changes, but then they'd come back and they'd just have the same routines that they were doing before. So I'm like, we don't have a knowledge deficit. I think we have a behavioral change problem. Mm. And we aren't taught about habits anywhere. Mm. You know? And when I first started researching habits, they'd only been researched for like 10 years. It was such a new area. There's only two habit researchers in Australia, even now. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And I was like, we well, need more answers. I need to understand how to actually help people break out of, I guess, the shackles of these very comfortable routines we get in because change is uncomfortable. Our brains don't really like change. So I wanted to, I had this idea of how do I wake up and do something different and make that easy 
without being stuck in the rut of what I normally do, what I always do, how do I actually create a life by design? Like I want to do this, it's the lifestyle I want rather than, yeah, like the rut that I've been in. And that's why I'm fascinated with neuroscience and the study of the brain. I yeah. think um, when you said habits have only been around or study for 10 years, yeah. I reckon it's been such a throwaway word. Like it we know has. we know words so like true. routines yeah. and goals and so forth, but yeah. we don't think about that. And you said 70% of our lives. Since I've yeah. since I've started reading your book, yeah. I've started realizing how much stuff <laughs> yeah. is by habits. And habits. you can never unknow oh it. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me what kind of stuff are you noticing? Oh, everything. This morning, like... Um, Okay, getting into the shower. Yeah. I turn the water on first, put my towel over, yep. you know, and I, that's my order. The sequence in which we dry oh. ourselves yep. each time. How you brush your teeth. 100%. Everything's the same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Recently, I've tried brushing my teeth with the opposite hand. Nice. Good yeah. for your brain It's been that. very hard. Yeah. Yeah. But now it almost. It feels so awkward. Yeah. Now almost mm. the other hand feels a little bit awkward. So, so interesting. Like yeah. yeah. How long have you been doing that? About a month. Okay. I saw an Instagram reel. And someone was like, if you do this, Wisdom. if you look at yourself and smile and you do something else, you know, your life will change. I'm like, all right, cool. I'll give that experiment right. a go. Nice. When I was playing soccer back in high school, I w- obviously most people are a right footer. Mm. I specifically wanted to be able to kick with my left foot as well. Ooh. So I did I did the same things. Huh. Yeah. Thing, so I was competitive like, I this it. one. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm going to kick your butt with my left foot. <laughs> but I think, I think like, you know, obviously for everyone tuning in, to this episode most people have lost someone a pet um a relationship you know there's also job loss and and that changes everything that we do oh yeah big time like all of our habits get thrown out the window which is yeah. why i resonated so yeah. deeply with some of the things you've shared early in the book mm. um can you tell us a bit about your story yeah. and i just know it's going to connect with so many of our listeners yeah um, yeah and we can dive into that a little. Yeah, sure. All right. I'll give you the story. But it, like I said, if you want more detail, oh, yeah. just like dig into yeah. more. So I, oh God, where do I start? So when I was doing my PhD, um, you know, my PhD in habits. Well, well, let's back up. Oh, wow. Because, we're going deep yeah, now. Yeah, we need okay. to back up. Okay, okay, okay. Because uh, we got some Japanese in the room, but we don't, we got some Egyptian in the room as well. well let's go. Fuck. <laughs> We want to know about Gina. Oh, yeah. me? Yeah, tell My us story. a little bit about your, oh, yeah, you, okay. who you are. And... Oh, okay. So I was born in Egypt. <laughs> that is the coolest. <laughs> I got yeah. cool already like that. <laughs> I lived there for eight years and then I moved to New Zealand and I was there for eight years and then my family came to the Gold Coast for a holiday and we were like, why would you leave? Totally. So here we are Amen. since oh, then. So yes. I was 16 when we moved here. Um, Both my parents had type 2 diabetes and heart disease, which is what inspired me to become a dietitian. But I also had disordered eating, which I wasn't willing to admit to myself at the time. I was like, ah, this is just a diet gone wrong. Like, I just have no discipline. Like, it's fine. But actually, I had a full-blown, like, like eating disorder, disordered eating, probably both. And I became a dietitian probably as a journey of self-discovery and also to help my grandparents and others. And so I'd, I've always been someone who I, I'm a very curious person. I'm my mum's always like, oh, you're so going to be a scientist because I used Perfect. to be like, and why and yeah. why like about all the things. Mm-hmm. So I guess my journey in research and science started with that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And then it went more into, well, why do we do what we do? Why is it that? I say to myself, I'm going to wake up and exercise and I end up scrolling on Facebook Marketplace for two hours. Like why? Oh, <laughs> I've never done Are that. Are you guilty I've of never, this? Are you, <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
Yeah. Oh, I go through seasons. Can relate. Marketplace is a rabbit hole. It's a Isn't vortex. It? And I'm not yeah. even looking for anything specific. I'm just like, oh, what's in the what's area? Why? There? Yeah. So there's that. And then there's also why is it that some people have, you know, this willpower to be able to do certain things, to be able to pull themselves out of ruts and other people don't? Like mm. what is the ingredient and how can I harness it? So that sort of started my fascination with the idea of studying sustainable change and long-term outcomes. And when I started my PhD, I had no idea what I was looking for. I was just wanting to understand more about why we do what we do and how to change it. And I found that every single article I read pointed to the fact that habits are the only proven method to long-term outcomes. And I'm like, wow. why are we not implementing this? Yeah. Why is it not talked about in school? Yeah. Like, Seriously. There's so many there of those things. There should be a whole subject in school about totally. this. Totally. And to your point before, Ryan, like the words habits, behaviors, rituals, and routines are used interchangeably. Mm -hmm. So we think we know what we're talking about with habits, but they're actually all very different things. Right. So when we talk about habits, it's the way we change our habits is an entirely different mechanic and sequence to changing our behaviors or routines. Okay, so you've just opened up a whole can of worms. <laughs> so just what is the difference? I mean, we're probably going to jump around, but yeah. like we need, we need to understand what yeah. is a habit and what is a behavior mm. if we're going to understand this conversation okay. or like learn from it. Good one, true. So a behavior is something that you do intentionally with deliberation, uh, with some sort of planning, even if you plan it just beforehand so it's like I'm deciding to go from A to B and I'm going to go this way or I'm going to make this for dinner like it's a thought it's a conscious thought a habit on the other hand is a behavior that you've done consistently that your brain is now gone well I don't need to think about this consciously anymore so I'm going to put it in the automated part of my brain so it's a behavior or a thought or action that's subconscious mindless automatic and it's triggered so what I mean by triggered is all of our habits are triggered by something in our internal or external environment. It could be the time of day, the place you're in, what you've just done beforehand. Could be a smell, could be a yeah, sound, yeah, an a emotion, person. Mm -hmm. a person that you're around, your social situation. Whereas behaviors aren't triggered. They can wow. be spontaneous. They can be instant at any time. And the difference might be someone who say exercises at random times and they do different exercises on different days and it's like just a thought. I'm like, oh, I'll go out for a walk. That's a behavior. A habitual exerciser would be someone who exercises at similar times of the day or does the same thing or does it quite mindlessly. Like they're halfway through it and they're like, oh, I'm exercising. That's the, the mm -hmm. difference. Very interesting. Mm. You've just like unraveled even more <laughs> all of these things that i, I, I you hear yeah, think about us what are we, what are we doing? Mm, yeah, yeah there's yeah. you know different types of behavioral science and so forth yesterday i couldn't even say behavioral yeah behavioral. I, yeah. it's a hard word behavioral i, even I don't even know what he was saying uh, and i was like what are you <laughs> right so so yeah we maybe we won't go down that rabbit hole i'm thinking about all sorts of different behaviors then yeah. um Okay, cool. So that's good to understand, yes. just to set the tone. <laughs> uh, we were learning about Gina and and, oh, yes. and how we arrived here. Yeah. Um, and what I find fascinating about you is it's not just, not, not to disqualify, it's not just the science and the research, mm. it's a walked journey as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Very much so. And I think that's why there's going to be so much connection for people mm. in this episode. Yeah. Um, 
Would you like to share your story? Yeah, 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 of course. So when I finished my PhD, my research was picked up by so much media and medical conferences. And I, I was like, this is going absolutely gangbusters. And I realized that there's actually never in history been uh, like the research I did basically looked at how can we sustain change. And normally we see like this Nike tick in behavior change. So we have uh, say like, People are doing what they're meant to do and then the program stops and it's like, well, back to where they started. Whereas in my programs, it kept going down. Like they kept doing the things even a year after the study had finished. So I started getting requests from different organizations and companies. And had that been seen before? No. First time. First time. So full breakthrough. Yeah, totally. People continuing and bettering results. Like a year after the study, sure. they were like, oh, I didn't even realize I was still doing this because it's just like second nature now. It's just part and of your, my life. And your study was a large one on weight loss? Yeah, it was weight, ma weight yeah. loss maintenance. Which has been you know, looked at and pulled apart for centuries, oh, you know. In like how many different ways. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was awesome. And so, yeah, I was getting um, consulting requests to write programs for different companies, which I did. And that sort of catapulted my career. And I was like, I need to clone myself because I can't do this on my own. <laughs> so then I started the Habit Change Institute. And that's, it's a train the trainer model. So I have mm -hmm. doctors and psychologists and coaches and all sort of allied health or trainers that I teach to become certified habit coaches. And that's been phenomenal. But throughout all of this, mm. <laughs> I had met um, who I thought was the man of my dreams. And this was sort of in the second year of my PhD. And um, what year are we? Oh, God, girl, I don't know. So 2014, I think. I know that I was 27, so it was 10 years ago. Yeah. Okay. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. How did you know that? 2014. I read something. Oh, <laughs> there you go. I couldn't even remember that. So it's 2014, met this guy, and it was just like instant chemistry, and I was like, oh, I'm in trouble here. <laughs> and we um, were together for six years, and in the last six months of our relationship, we got married. But in the year before, sort of in the last year of our relationship, things just didn't feel right. And it was mm -hmm. during COVID as well. It was 2020 at the time and his work was impacted. He couldn't see his family who lived interstate. And so whenever I'd say to him like, hey, what's going on? I feel really disconnected. It was just, it would come down to, I'm feeling depressed. You know, he'd say, I'm feeling depressed or, you know, I really miss my family or my work's like different and it was all masked under this we're okay but I'm just going through something and I need your support so that's what I did we just powered on with that and it was awful I felt like I was becoming like a shriveled raisin where there was no connection or affection or love but there were lots of words there were lots of like you're the best thing that's ever happened to me I can't wait to come home to you like lots of affirmations so I wasn't worried that there was mm. anything sort of going on and you said that you like were focusing on supporting him no matter what exactly. came out of his mouth yeah. you were like okay I need to be the supportive wife yeah do what I can make you feel comfortable and all of the yeah, things yeah and not exert my needs when you're in a time of being down yeah, yeah. So, put your you above me yeah. what I needed yeah. yeah and like I actually I have the schema which I didn't know till recently of being quite self-sacrificial and I think that's my Egyptian background yeah wow where like women are more sacrificial than men in that culture and so there's you know I learned a lot about myself and I would probably have done things 
maybe differently, but I had to learn, I had to learn it all right. So at the time I really parked myself on a shelf. It was to the point where I'd be so down some days that I would spend like eight hours playing Tetris on my phone wow. because I wanted to activate my mind somehow, otherwise I'd go crazy. But I couldn't do anything because I was so anxious. I was just such a mess. Worried but not trying to worry because yeah. everything's okay. Yeah, trying yeah. to escape reality but not yeah. do that as mm -hmm. well. And so I'm like, if I can just keep myself busy doing this, then he'll come home after work and you know, and I'll, maybe I'll just get a glimpse of a smile and we'll be okay for the day. Because are you an overthinker? Like, I'm I don't not, know, in I'm your position, really. I would have been doing circles in my brain and... I'm a huge truster. So when he'd say, like, I had a hard day at work, that would be it. Yeah. You know, I would be like, well, what if this happened? What if this happened? But then he'd say, no, this happened. I'd be like, okay. Like, and that would be the rest of it, right? Mm. And also with sort of our attachment styles, I'm more of a secure attachment and he was more like a withdrawn attachment, which basically means when things are going wrong, he wants to like hide in a corner and I kind of sure. want to lean in and chat. So mm. it actually started making me more anxious. It was horrible, but I didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. So then there was one particularly difficult day. I remember we, I just felt extra disconnected from him. So I was like, I'm just going to do some baking because, you know, carbs are definitely going to make me feel better. So I was <laughs> more about that later. Amen. <laughs> making banana bread. And um, I wanted to look up a recipe and his computer happened to be on the kitchen bench. So I just like flicked it open, looked up a recipe. And as I was doing that, these text messages that were linked to his iPhone no. were popping up live on the screen. And there was a live text message exchange that he was having. And he was still at home? He just left. Oh. So okay. he's like, I'm gonna go down to Bunnings. So like a tool shop, I'm gonna go down to Bunnings. And I was like, okay, no worries. We live on acreage, so he'd often go. It makes to sense, Bunnings. yeah. <laughs> yeah, which yeah. now I know is code for something else. Right. Um, and. As he'd left, that's when I started baking and the text messages were a live exchange between him and a prostitute that Whoa. he was just about to meet oh. with. And it was him asking for her address and a photo. She sent the photo. He responded to the photo like, mm, nice. And then they talked about the financial exchange and he's like, I'm five minutes away. And my world shattered. Oh. I, I couldn't, it's like, I could see this was happening, but I was like, no, no, this can't actually be happening, but it was happening. And then I quickly scanned the rest of his text messages and computer, and there were hundreds others. And this happened before we were married, which was really difficult for me to understand and still is because we'd only been married for six months and this had been going on for at least a year. And it was his idea to get married. You know, I was sort of indifferent about getting married at the time. I wanted to wait till after COVID, but he really wanted to do it quickly. So it shattered my world because I was like, if I was so wrong about this, what else am I wrong about? Mm. And it felt like my mind fractured in that moment. Oh, I, um, this is where like, I like in the book, I just paused because mm. the way you write about this experience uh, is a complete betrayal yeah. and on so many levels. Yeah. Um, but you actually wrote this and I wanted to read it word for word because yeah. to me it just struck like so many chords, even though I've never been through mm. that form of betrayal ever. You said nothing made sense, but then everything made sense at the same time. Mm. The more I discovered, the less I could breathe. 
I felt like I was going crazy. This couldn't be my life story. It just couldn't be. If I couldn't trust what I once knew to be true, how could I trust what would happen tomorrow? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> I have goosebumps. Oh, yeah. I'm like sweating up. Yeah. You know, in the, the grief side of things mm. from like losing family and different people, I felt the same things. Yeah. But it's such a different experience. It would be, it's so wild when our coherent narrative, what we know, what we've always known, our family's around, like our parents are here. And when that's gone, you're like, well, who am I? And how do I fit in the world? And question everything. Question everything. Mm. Exactly. It's like we're broken down yeah. to sand again. Yeah. And it's one thing to not be able to predict our future. It's like we can be okay with ambiguity, mm-hmm. but to not be able to know our past and understand our lived experience is total. Like your mind is like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to believe. Yeah. And so in that moment, I actually, I fainted because I hyperventilated and I fainted and my beautiful dog, Macy, broke the door and came in oh. and woke me. She's like my oh. angel. I know. Oh. And I messaged him and I just said, um, hey, when will you be home? Actually, I took screenshots of everything and I sent it to my mum for safekeeping. And I was like, don't call me. There's something going on, but I need to just have a conversation about this. And I just messaged him saying, hey, um, we need to chat when you get home. And so he came, it was like 10 minutes came home and I said very calmly, cause I'm like, I don't want to scare him away. <laughs> I said, is there anything that you need to tell me? And whatever you tell me, I just want honesty and we'll work through anything you tell me. I just want to know what's been happening. And he's like, no, I've got nothing to tell you. And I actually remember audio recording. Oh, this. hell no. Yeah, oh, right? oh I've actually still got the recording on my phone and I'll tell you why I kept it, but I audio recorded it because I knew that I was in a state of trauma and that my mind wouldn't remember things accurately. Yeah, wow. And so I don't good. know how I came to that in the moment. Like Your it was PhD totally is like instinctive. Yeah. Outworking itself. Yeah, totally right. Oh. And so I audio recorded and, and then I asked him, What about these photos? And I showed him what I'd seen. And he's like, came up with this excuse. He was like, no, 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 I love you way too much. I had the idea of going. And then as soon as I was outside, I was like, I can't do that. I love Gina way too much. And I've come straight home. And I was like, you've been doing that for a whole year. Like I have Google map evidence. I've got bank statements. Like yeah. I've got way, I've got emails. Like you can't deny this happening. And he continued to deny it. So that gaslighting mm. broke my mind even more because I only knew him as this beautiful, kind, loving melancholic man yeah. who adored me we were and trying I mean, for a we, child yeah we got to meet him like, yeah i mean yeah. i met him multiple times yeah like, yeah so he go was real a nice totally. guy yep. you would had a great think, chat yeah yeah totally and like gentle and kind like mm-hmm. he'd be the guy who'd like stop the car to help someone cross the road or on his days off he'd help my dad fix his boat like a real giver mm. and never was that part of his history or that i knew of so it just didn't, it just, it didn't make any sense. So then um, it was pretty wild because he just said to me, I'm not worthy of being in the same room as you. And he packed his bags and left. And that was it. And I never got anything from him. And right. I had to learn that I had to find my own closure without him, which is often also a thing in grief. Like yeah. we can't go to that person and, and talk to them about it. They could be our best friend but they can't be there for us anymore. And I really battled with that. Yeah. 
that he was my greatest comfort and my best friend and the one person I did life with. And we were trying for a child and we'd just gotten married and our wedding was magic. We cried in our vows, like it was so beautiful. And now this is happening. And it was such a contrast. So I went through, um, I developed agoraphobia, which is the fear of leaving your own house, which is a trauma response. It Mm. had nothing to do with the outside world. It had everything to do with the world is not safe. It's not as I know it or I thought that it would be. And so if it's not safe, I don't know how to exist out there and I just have to stay in here. And everything triggered me. Everything reminded me of him and every memory of him sent me into a panic attack. Yeah. Wild. Big time. Mm. And um, I related big like to the car rolling into the driveway, hearing the sound of the stones, smells of coffee, Mm. colors of, you said colors of cars. Yeah. all those things I'm going, oh my gosh, it was taking me right back 11 years oh, ago wow. and going, yeah, it's a trauma response. Totally. And you don't know how to deal with it if you've never been through it. Yeah. And you don't know when it's coming. Even if, yeah, totally. Like I remember after going through a lot of exposure therapy, I was finally able to get to the supermarket and I was so proud of myself. And then our wedding song played on the radio oh. and I completely oh. fell apart. Like I was dismantled on the floor. And my mum had to come and get me because I honestly could, Good I was move. having a panic attack. Yeah. And, you know, it wasn't till later in my therapy that I could get myself out of that. But that, you know, it sends you backwards. You think you're doing okay and then something happens and you're forward, like, nope, back. straight back in bed. Like, don't, I can't face the world. So how this sort of unfolded was, well, just like a quick side note. So yeah. in the five weeks after I found out what had happened, those the first five weeks were absolute torment because my mind was going through every interaction I'd ever had with him, every message, every time he was out, every time he was late from work, like, and going, was that when that happened? Is this, oh, this makes sense why he said that? Or mm. all these things were happening. So I developed really bad insomnia. I'd also, at, at the same time, he was saying to me, I miss you so much. I want, I want this to work together. He was texting you. Yeah. And I wanted the same, you know, I wanted to be able to work this out together. He was the love of my life. Yeah. I adored him so, so, so much. Like it scared me how much I loved this guy. And then after five weeks, I dropped in to a tennis match he was playing. Like I knew it was going to be tennis at the spot and I just dropped in. He wasn't expecting me and he just fell into my arms. He was bawling his eyes out and he just said, I just want to come home. And I was like, I will do this journey with you. Let's go to therapy and let's do this properly. But you have to promise me that if I'm pouring my heart and opening myself to you again, you can't be seeing other women. Like this cannot be happening. He was like, of course, I haven't dated anyone anyway. Shouldn't like, need to be said. I like, know, like, right? Really? Yeah. Totally. Okay, 24 hours later. No. Yeah. My mum's friend's daughter who oh. never met him was in Brisbane for like a Christmas party. It's she a was small world. Totally <laughs> right. She was at a, the wrong restaurant at the wrong time by accident and saw him. No way. With his arms all over this other woman. She took videos and photos and she sent them to my mom. <sighs> and she was like, I'm pretty sure this is Gina's husband. So and she just knew him from Instagram or yeah, whatever. Exactly. <sighs> and like, she'd never met. She's like literally my mom's friend's daughter. And I got the messages the next morning. And I remember phoning him and being like, 
you're actually a really horrible person mm. and I, I don't want anything to do with you. And that was the moment I totally broke because I sort of held on to hope for those five weeks. And it was in that moment that, that was I was like, it. that's it. Foot I'm, down. I'm done here. Wow. And that was the realization of, oh my God, it's over. My life will never be the same. I've been betrayed on so many levels, but also in his most vulnerable moment, like he mm. was bawling his eyes out mm. 24 hours ago. And, and I said to him how raw I was and how much this was breaking me. I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep. Like I, was, I couldn't go to work, I was a mess. And even in that moment, he was lying to me. So that was really, really horrible. The bit, there you go. <laughs> oh, I just want to say that, oh my gosh, from that, receiving that news again, mm. I just would have been like, how have I ever trusted yeah. any any of his emotions? Were our vows real? Were yeah. our anything real? When yeah. he's bawled his eyes out to me saying, I'm yeah. sorry, I want to make this work. Yeah. Exactly. And then 24 hours later, he's... Yeah. To be able to express such deep emotion, such vulnerability when it wasn't actually real. Because I found out this person he was with, he'd actually been seeing regularly. Wow. So, yeah, it was every level of a complete... Because then I lost trust in myself. Yeah. I felt estranged from me. Totally. Because I thought I had a pretty good judge of character. Yeah. Yeah, what's wrong with me? Yeah, Yeah. I knew my place in the world. Mm -hmm. I was... I was doing well. And so then what do we call that on his side? Sociopathic. <laughs> <laughs> like someone who who lies, continues yeah. to do the same behavior or habits or whatever. It's it's a pathology. I mean, I, I don't want to put a label to it, but it's 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 a psychiatric pathology sure. to be able to do that yeah. and to do that at the pathological level that he was doing it on. Um, and also the lengths that he went through to hide what he was doing. It's, it's not even something... I'm even ready to talk about or don't know if I ever will be mm. able to talk about because there were there was an incident that happened that I was like, I'm going to be a victim of domestic violence and oh. that can't be me and how can this be happening? And it was the lengths he went through to hide his phone and his like his devices yeah. was awful. Yeah, and, and it wasn't normal. Yeah. It's stuff they make movies and TV shows about. You know, you don't yeah. think you're, it's ever going to happen to no. me you know you never think that never especially when you're 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 on the hope side of life yeah you know and yeah. um some people have said that you know divorce is worse than a death mm. because that person who you no longer want to be with still you yeah. have you have to live with yeah ha- yeah how do you, have you heard that before I have. have you thought through that or what that's like yeah i i can't i think it would be extremely accurate especially if you had children with that person because you have to continue interacting with Mm. the perpetrator in a way you know with the person that you can't just fall out of love with and and this was the hard thing is I still adored him I didn't want to love him but I cared deeply about him still I still had fond feelings towards him despite the immense pain he'd caused me and the betrayal that he caused us as a married unit and the vows that he broke, like there was just so many things in it, but I still loved him. And when my friends would say something bad about him, I'd be like, don't say that. Like, I don't want, I don't want that negativity. You know, he's broken. Like, why would he ruin the, this life we had, which was beautiful? There's obviously something wrong. So it's really hard because mm. again, you don't know how to exist in that space. 
where you're like, I love you, I can't be with you, or I've even fallen out of love with you. And that in itself is odd because you're the person that I gave my whole world to. And you're here, but we can't coexist together anymore. And it's constant grief because you have to continue to make the choice to not be together. And I think that's where I find that connection. You know, if I think about my dad, I love you, but I can't be yeah. with you. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And that's just a wrestle. Yeah. Big wrestle time. ongoing. Um, yeah. You talk, can we talk about trauma yeah. just for a bit? You yeah. said that like it causes a, a greater fear response. Yeah. And then it causes us to have lose memory um yeah and when i read that i was like that's what grief brain must be yeah is that the same thing it is yep so you have dissociative memory Mm -hmm. so in that traumatic traumatic moment your brain's like this is too much and it like shuts down memories you also have a higher activation in your amygdala which is the emotional part of your brain and a reduced activation in your prefrontal cortex which is the logical part of your brain right so the front logical yeah the rear Emotional. Emotional. And now you've got loads of emotion, not a lot of logic, which is why triggers can also take you back into the moment. Like you have a trigger and you feel like you're right back in that war zone where you're like, it's happening all over again. And it's not. But if your logical mind was super active, it would help you understand that, but it's not active. Mm. And that's the wild thing about any sort of traumatic um, trigger is the only thing that's activated is your amygdala, mm. that emotional side. And it feels just as real as if it had just happened the first right. time. So. I want to know first, is there <sighs> anything, any research done that we've found that there is something that you can do in these moments to activate a bit more? Yeah. The only the way front. to sort of make those two brain systems come together again is through your breath. Wow. And it's the one thing that can link uh, two brains together. And it's a really powerful tool that I learned. There's other strategies as well. So one of the other strategies that I learned through exposure therapy, oh my goodness, yeah, my that therapist was on. brutal. Yeah, let yeah. me tell you about exposure yeah, yeah. therapy. <laughs> We've done a bit of therapy and a bit of question. breath work, but exposure yeah. therapy sounds Wild. like another level. Yeah. Wild. Okay, deep breath. So <laughs> what my psychologist would do is she would bring up a traumatic trigger for me and I had to do exposure therapy because I literally couldn't leave my house like like literally any sort of black car or like there's hundreds of things triggered me and so I became this terrified woman and I was like I need to be able to function in this world and so exposure therapy I did extremely intensely I don't recommend this but I do (laughs) recommend doing it. it okay so what happens is the psychologist will bring up a trauma trigger so say for you it's the color red And you think about the color red and you get the trauma response. So your heart rate goes up, your palms are sweaty, your stomachs are knots, and you're hyperventilating. So you're really in that trigger response. And then the idea is to then let the thought go. So get rid of the red color and then you focus on your body. So that somatic response. So you're like, you can even explain out loud, my stomachs are knots, my hands are sweaty. I'm struggling to breathe. Like, and only focus on that. Mm-hmm. And then it de-escalates you because now your mind is focusing on your body, not the traumatic experience. Right. Right. And what it does in time is it starts to rewire your brain to say, okay, I saw the red and I'm still alive. Like I'm actually I've okay survived. now. I've survived it. Yeah. And actually 10 minutes later, I'm totally calm. So maybe it's not going to kill me because mm. trigger responses are fight or flight. Sure. Mm. Your body's literally saying to you, there's, there's a, 
risk here that you could die. And that's why it feels so heightened. Mm. And so I, I sounds, did that. It sounds easier said than done. Well, wait for it though, because, okay, the first time that she de-escalate me from a trigger response, it took about 15 minutes of like full on, like hyperventilating, like trying to de-escalate. And then as soon as I was like, as soon as I was like, okay, I'm, I'm good now. She's like, we're going again. I was like, home girl, I'm going to need a minute. Yeah, it's like, like a personal training <laughs> session. Hang on a second. Yeah, yeah, I didn't totally. pay you to put me through the ringer. Yeah, I was like, I just need some time to like, whoa, get over. Like that was a lot. And she's like, you don't get to that's choose not how, it works. how many triggers are out in yeah. that world. We're going again. Wow. Right. And I'd get straight back into that trauma response. And then I noticed the next time would take me 10 minutes to deescalate. Mm -hmm. Then five minutes. And then at the end of the hour we were together, it would be milliseconds and I'd be like, I can do that now. That's incredible. You can bring up the color red all you want and I'm perfectly okay. Yeah. But I would have to spend an hour doing this for like every trigger. Wow. So I had to work through all of them and they got progressively more challenging. So we started with sort of smaller triggers and then we actually got to the point where I, I drove and I parked in a brothel that he had been to. Whoa. And I visualized him walking in doing his thing, walking out, coming home and telling me he loves me without having this huge heart flutter. And I was like, so, now I'm healed. So that, that was the height. <laughs> yeah, that, that was to the, get to. so because I had to drive past this place to get to work and I would try and I'd be like, I can't, and I'd have panic attacks in my car and drive straight home. And then everything about that triggered me. Like every time I'd see a neon light totally. or a woman of Asian descent, because he would always pick, you know, um, Southeast Asian women. and Which would so, really ruin and taint your view on the world. Totally. Because how can you go back to Japan? And, yeah. You know, how can well, you get in an Uber car that's yeah. black? You know, yeah. so many things. Yeah, that's, completely. That's I remember you incredible. texting me and telling me that you just didn't trust the world anymore. You just didn't Did want I? to trust. Yeah. 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 Because... Well, what do you, like when you trust now, you have a foundation of trust. You're like, no, I understand body language or tone. And I've been in the world long enough to know how things work. And like that place really is a massage therapist place. Like we're good. And then when you learn that it's not, you're like, oh, that's not right. And his facial expressions didn't actually mean anything. And my instinct didn't. I got it wrong. I got like everything yeah, wrong. Totally. When my mind fractured with that thought, I got it wrong. It was like. What else am I wrong about? Totally. And then I remember sitting my parents down and being like, prove to me you're my parents. I Whoa. need to see a birth certificate. And, and who says we need to brush our teeth every day? Like, how do I know that's actually meant to be what we do? And, mm -hmm. and how do I know the sky's even blue? How do I know it's not a reflection of the ocean and someone's tricking us? Like, it messed me, man. Like, I was not okay. And so I was bedridden. I was, Whoa. which blew my mind because I had a very successful career. I'd just done this awesome like SBS documentary with Michael Mosley, which I was so proud of. And and then a month later I was bedridden, not even knowing if Going, I should brush I? my teeth or not. Yeah. I didn't know how to drive anymore. Like everything fell apart. Mm. You know how you were talking before about your morning routine and you notice the sequence in which you do things. That routine is part of your habitual brain, which sits in the emotion side, that sits in the amygdala. And so when that's on overdrive, that's why we lose all our habits because we are so emotional, we're so caught up in survival that nothing is normal anymore. Mm -hmm. So I lost my daily routines, my ability to get up, know where my toothbrush was and 
know what I'm doing and then have a shower and get dressed. Nothing was normal. Nothing was safe. So Things I Things that you usually do, do automatically. Yeah. 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 I lost all of that. And so, so how long did that go on for? Oh, it was a process of two steps forward, one step back with it. I remember my best friend, when I told her, I told her as soon as I found out, she was quite pregnant like you, and she <laughs> flew up from Melbourne on a one-way ticket, called her husband on the way to the airport, and she was like, I might be having this baby in Queensland. <laughs> wow. And she came and lived with me for as long as I needed. Everyone needs a friend like that. Yeah. She was phenomenal. And then my mum did the same when they tag teamed, but she helped me a lot. She forced me to go to the beach, be in nature, take Macy for walks, eat something. Mm -hmm. um, she took me to the doctor because I had to get tests. I had to get sleeping medications. Um, I had to get a bunch of blood tests and stuff done yeah, to make imagine. sure that I was safe and I was okay. And I, I couldn't do all that because I couldn't leave the house. So she helped me and that exposure helped me. But I would say it took about two months for me to go from bedridden to a place where I could go to the shops by myself mm -hmm. and be able to come home and it not completely derail me. Yeah. Wow. So, so can we talk then about those baby steps? Yeah. So you talk about uh, start, like the process mm. of a habit. Can you break that down for everybody? Because yeah. I think like I know about, I know about habits, you know, <laughs> You know, I know about habits. You know what a habit is. And then when I go, oh, wow. So it takes these three steps yeah. in a certain process to build one. Yeah. Makes sense now why some stick, some don't, and why others are easy and others, you know, aren't. Yeah, yeah. Can you break that process yeah. down? Hey, I hope you've been loving the conversation with Dr. Gina so far. I know we have. Yes. Uh, there is so much juice left to squeeze. So we've hit pause on this conversation for now. Yeah, we have. And there's so much more to come. So if you've been loving this, and if you found it helpful, please just share it with someone right now because we're going to bring you part two in our next episode. So stick around and do share. Which won't be long. We'll see you on the next episode. Until then, bye for now. Ciao.